0: Amen. Well, again, uh, good morning and welcome to the Luther Campus of Christ Community Church. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, thanks for joining in with us. And uh, as we prepare to jump back into to Matthew, we've been studying Matthew for a while, uh, let me pray for us uh, and then we'll look at, at God's word for this morning. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you have brought us uh, to this place. Um, God, I pray that we would hear from you. We need that. And God, I, I pray that in this moment that we would, uh, we would also, through your spirit, hear what we need to hear. Um, not just what we want to hear or what 's easy for us to hear, but God I pray for those for those who need comfort, I pray that that would be true in this in this place for those who need um, a push in the right direction. God, I pray that that would happen as well. Um, God that you would help us see more clearly who you are, Lord Jesus, and who you've called us to be. We depend on you for that holy Spirit in Christ's name amen well i'm not uh I'm not looking for you know pity or uh or even even complaining uh, by saying this, but um, being a pastor is kind of a scary job. I mean, it's a weird job to say the least, uh, but it's also like a little, uh, it's a lot terrifying, actually, if you stop and think about it. And I don't, I don't mean like, um, you know, walking with somebody through their pain or grief or, or even helping somebody in their, in their sin. I mean, I feel inadequate in those moments, but not, not afraid. Um, nor do I even just mean like when there's really tough things that we talk about from God's word. Um, I may not always love it, uh, but I'm not, I'm not scared of it. The thing that, that scares me most is sort of this ongoing, nagging question, always there in the back of my mind, of what if, what if I blow it as your pastor? What if we as your church? What, what, if, uh, what if we lead you in the wrong direction, further from Christ rather than towards him? Or, or what, if, what if even I, like, what if I'm in it for the wrong reasons? I don't even know it yet. What if I abandoned my faith, as some pastors that I've known have done? Or what, what if I end up doing something cataclysmically stupid and dragging some of you down with me? Because we all know those stories, don't we? I mean, some of you have been in those situations, those, those communities. You've, you've seen that. You, some of you have been deeply hurt by a church. I don't, I don't just mean like offended or disappointed, not to minimize that, but I mean like deeply wrongfully hurt. I mean, even for me, I'm look, you know, looking back and I grew up in church and most of my childhood Sundays all kind of blur together into one memory, Right? That really doesn't change what you become an adult. I'm okay with that. They all just kind of, they all kind of blur, right? But uh, looking back at my childhood, there are a few that I remember. And one in particular, man, I tell you, I remember in detail the Sunday that one of my pastors resigned because he, you know, solicited an inappropriate relationship with a congregation member. That Sunday, I remember. And some of you have been there, right? I mean, whether, whether it's infidelity or, or, or the, the church or the leader, the board, right? The elders who maybe just... Maybe they're just in it for the wrong reasons. Who abuse power, who, who manipulate or even, even abuse those they're, they're meant to protect and to care for, and who end up leading them away from Christ instead of towards Him. All in the name of Jesus. And many of us know those who have walked away from faith as a result, who have walked away from church, walked away from Jesus because of spiritual abuse. Lousy pastors, toxic churches. And the thing that actually scares me in this the most, I mean, as if that's not scary enough, right? It's that so many of these malpracticing leaders don't even know it until it's too late. Like they don't see it coming. I mean, I don't think any pastor says, I'm gonna gonna set out to ruin people's lives, right? I mean, but it's a gradual, slow thing and you you see it in, in them, Jesus calls them blind guides, unknowingly leading people to their own destruction. If leaders are allowed to get away with this, they can take everybody with them. And that terrifies me. Especially when you know the words that Jesus has to say to those who do this. Hmm. We've been studying Matthew. Matthew. Matthew chapter 23 this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and, and, and jump there with me. But we are, we are getting closer and closer to the time of Jesus' death. It's just days away at this point. In and, and the last few weeks, if you've been here, Jesus has been under constant scrutiny by the religious leaders. Question after question, not searching questions, but questions meant to trip him up, right? To try to trap Jesus. And, and now, very clearly, the, the, the conversation shifts. And and Matthew tells us that now Jesus talks in these final, some of these final moments, really, to the crowds and to his disciples, warning them against the spiritual abusers of his day, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the ones who are soon to kill him. And this, this passage, I'm going to read it in just a moment here, but just to kind of like brace yourself a little, like this is arguably the angriest Jesus gets in scripture. I mean, he is, he is mad. I mean, there are things that he says here that some of you are, are probably, like if you have kind of this like sensitive, tender sort of picture of Jesus in your mind and that's the only one, like you can't even hardly believe that he would say such things about these people. But this, this tirade, it's not against sinners, right? Or, or, or atheists. It's not against people we disagree with or the movement or ideology we don't like. It's against the worthlessly religious. Terrible things have been done in the name of religion. And nobody is more concerned with spiritual malpractice than Jesus is. And judgment is coming. So let me read it. It's super long, super heavy. Um, it's 39 verses. At some point here, it's gonna feel like I'm reading the entire Bible. Um, I'm not um, but hang, hang with me because you, you almost have to read all of it to feel the weight of what Jesus, on and on and on about this, this uh, of these, these, these religious leaders and what they're doing. And so if you, if you get lost in this long section of reading here, it's gonna take a few minutes. Uh, if you get lost, remember one thing, okay? Uh, because really, and this is the point for this morning, I mean, Jesus is really trying to communicate one thing. He's not talking to the, the, the scribes and the religious leaders at this point. He's talking to the crowds and the disciples, warning them, and I say this, I mean, with fear and trembling, this is what he wants you to know, is that you become like who you follow. There's no way around it. You become like those you follow, so God help us. We better choose wisely, right? Our scripture this morning is Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe what they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, their their religious garments. Like they exaggerate them to seem more important. And they, they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher and you are all brothers and call no man your father on earth for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, "'for you travel across sea and land "'to make a single proselyte, a convert, "'and when he becomes a convert, "'you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. "'Woe to you, blind guides, "'who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing.'" but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater the gold of the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater the gift of the altar that makes the gift sacred. So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by it and him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! And wise men and, and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in the synagogue and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. From the blood of innocent Abel, first murder of mankind, to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <sighs> I mean, really what he's saying is sometimes pastors are the worst, right? Sometimes churches, spiritual leaders, those meant to to protect and guide and love and serve sometimes are absolutely shameful. And while that terrifies me, it's clear that we can't give up, right? I mean, for Jesus, he gave his life for his his church. He's gathering for himself a people. He's even given to the church pastors and and teachers, leaders and spiritual guides, flawed men and women. We cannot abandon it. That's not an option. But we need to be wise for you will become like those you choose, like those you follow. You'll become like those you follow. Choose wisely. Love them, but keep them accountable for these warnings, they are extreme. And we're meant to feel the weight of them. But there's also hope here. So as we walk through this, we're going to do our best to hit most of it there. It's a lot. Um, But we're going to break it into two sections. Section one is top five signs your spiritual leaders are the worst. Uh, Which is as fun as it sounds, I guarantee it. Um, and, And honestly, I encourage you, as we walk through that section, think about us. Think about your church, your leaders. Think about me. Put us through this, this grid as a, as a staff and the, the leaders that you know within, within your context. And put us through this grid. We need your help. Um, and then the second section, OK, is the only, the only solution uh, for us all. The problem and the solution, basically. All right, you with me? Okay. Number one. Number one: spiritual leaders are the worst when they are obsessed with their own importance when they're obsessed with their own importance. You just can't miss that from the first 12 verses of this section, right? One of the surest signs of a blind leader, a blind guide is that they love their authority just a little too much. They just get a little too excited with their, with their power and their influence and, or, or their reputation or the way people think about them or treat them and it just feels so good and nice to be in charge, right? That kind of thing. Just a little too much. And so Jesus says, for example, in verse Verse three, uh, for they preach, but they do not practice. Um, that's a bad sign, just, just so you know. Like that's just, that's not good. It's not okay uh, to preach and not practice. And he goes on, he unpacks like in between there. He talks about how they, they add rule upon rule upon rule, uh, but they're unwilling to do any of it themselves, right? They're, these rules are for the people, or, unless they get to be seen, right? If they get to see, be seen obeying one of the rules. That's another story, right? They're one way in public, in another way, in private, they love the place of honor that feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, right? The, the place of respect and authority. This, Jesus says, is a dangerous person. They want to be noticed, they want to be loved, they want their ideas to be patted on the back, and they want everybody to go with them wherever they, they want to go, even if it's down a disastrous path. And they love their titles. That's kind of weird, right? Jesus says, don't, don't call anybody uh, father or teacher or rabbi, right? Did you catch that in there? I mean, Jesus is, is clearly overstating his point. Um, it, there's nothing wrong with those titles, right? He's not, that's not what he's getting at. It's that if you, if you love those titles, then there's a problem. Whatever, whatever title you have in life, like if you love it, if you're obsessed with it, you want everybody to know it, know how important you are, how good you are, that's, that's a problem, and so in a spiritual leadership context, right, it's, a, it's a, a setting with an extreme hierarchy where you just know who's in charge, right? Or, or you, know, you know who's most important in any room. And Jesus just says, don't, don't have anything to do with it. Like, stay away from that. Don't follow them and don't become like them. Because Jesus knows, right, and you know, I know, like how quickly it is for us to become like this, especially if we see it in our leaders. And it's not hard for us to fake it, is it? to want to look good on the, on the outside and not the inside, to, to want to, you know, tout how, how good our works are, right? We, like, I mean, we love it when people see the good things that we do, right? We love it when people acknowledge how important we are. No, no matter who you are, we all, we all dip into this. We're inconsistent in public and private, aren't we? It's dangerous. Instead, Jesus says in verse 11, that the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. It's quite a contrast, isn't it? On the one hand, you have, you have leaders that are obsessed with their own authority. On the other hand, Jesus says, well, the real, what, you, what you should be is humble, servants, that's the kind of church we want to be, isn't it? I mean, that's it. Like, you hear that, and of course we, we want that for, for a community and for us. Yes, a, a place of, of humble service, one that, that serves unconditionally, no matter what. Even people we don't necessarily always like or agree with. That has the humility to, to welcome all kinds of people as a church. It's not, it's not hung up on status or appearance or, you know, how good this person looks or not, Right? A reputation, a home for, for anyone. I mean, it's quite a contrast from what we sometimes see, isn't it? We get so hung up on who's in charge and, and where's it going and what's it look like that we, f- we forget about the, important, the importance of simply serving one another out of humility and grace. Spiritual leaders are the worst when they're obsessed with their own importance. Or their own relevance as well, just wanting to be like hip or cool or, I mean, it's all kind of tied up together, right? Thought well of. Please don't let me get away with it. Don't, don't let us as your church get away with it. Run if necessary. And don't become like them. All right, number two. Number two, spiritual leaders are the worst when they are sincere but sincerely wrong. Sincere but sincerely wrong. And this is a hard one for us as a culture. Actually, these, these next two, because we love sincerity, right? I mean, it's like, well, she means well, right? He prayed about it. She's charismatic. Uh, he likes people. He's nice. You know, we, it's like, well, I mean, as long as they're sincere, it's okay, right? We just don't, we don't get beyond that. Well, that's a dangerous place, isn't it? Sincerity is not enough. Not if you're wrong. Look what Jesus says in, in, in verse 13. Look how sincere the Pharisees are. It says, For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And then verse 15, For you travel across sea and land to make a single convert. And when he becomes a convert or a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. I mean, look how sincere they are. I mean, they're, they're traveling across sea and land, doing the Lord's work, Right? trying to make as many possible converts as they can. Everything looks great, except that it's awful, right? Except there's, are sla- I mean, think about this. Jesus says that they're slamming the door of heaven in people's faces. Not only are they not going in, they're keeping others out. Sincerity is deeply overrated if you're wrong, right? And again, that's a, that's a hard one for us because man, we just want to be sincere and we all want to just feel good about each other and all that, but um, let me give an example. Like, um, some of you will probably remember, like, uh, five, six years ago, there was all that uh, trouble with Toyota. Remember, in the, the uncontrollable acceleration, right? 2009, they had to, like, recall, I think, 10 million vehicles, I think. Um, they had over a billion dollars in fines, countless lawsuits that they had to sell. I mean, it was, it was a big deal. And general consensus at the time was there is something terribly, horribly wrong with the world's most popular cars, right? Except there wasn't. Not a bit. And in fact, study after study has shown in the years that have followed that actually they were were fine. The cars were okay. And in fact, every study shows that no matter how much you're accelerating, like even if you have your foot on the accelerator, no matter how, how fast you're going, if you push the brakes, your brakes will eventually win, right? They're designed, they will eventually slow down and stop your car. Uh, But what these these studies have shown is that most likely what was happening in countless vehicles is that as people began to hear more and more, like, Toyota, they're they're accelerating out out of control, people, people were slamming on the gas, absolutely convinced it was the brakes. I mean, imagine being the driver in that situation, fully convinced that you were doing everything to stop the car, and yet being the one that kept making it go faster and faster and faster and faster. I mean, and sadly, like a lot of people died during that all of that, right? And here we have the Pharisees. Man, they are sincere, right? They are sincere and and slamming on the gas, convinced it's the break. And it's not just them. They've got like all of Jerusalem in the backseat with them. And countless religious leaders Sense, Friends, don't get into that car. Don't, Don't do it. You don't want to be in there. Sincerity. Sincerity is not enough. Let me give an, another example. Um, one that maybe we Christians tend to be uh, guilty of in particular. Um, it's some mild uh, spiritual abuse, depending on the circumstance, I suppose. But let's just, let's just make a, a, an agreement right now, okay? Uh, everybody in this room, just to never use the words, God told me. Can we just do that? God told me. I mean, talk about a power play, right? Isn't it? I mean, as soon as somebody says that to you, it's like, well, I guess we're not going to talk about this, right? Because God told you, right? I mean, and I'm not, I'm not minimizing that that God speaks to his people. Yes, he communicates to us. But what, what I'm afraid of is our hearing is lousy, right? Like we need one another to understand what God is saying. We need to test it against scriptures. And let me just say, do not trust a spiritual leader who throws around God told me on a regular basis, forever, really. That's just, that's just scary, Right? I mean, God told me to, you know, this, this, we're building on here as a church. We really need a statue of me out front, right? <laughs> Sorry, guys. God told me, right? What are you going to do? Um, it's ridiculous. And yet we do that, don't we? I mean, I don't know how many conversations have I had with people like, well, God told me I should move in this direction. I'm like, I don't think he did, right? Especially when, when it's like, there, God told us a lot of things and that's not in it, Right? He gave us his book, his word to live by. We need to to measure everything we do against scripture. Yes, God speaks. And yes, we want to be sincere. But this book is our authority, not our sincerity, not our feelings of of whether or not we think God is is talking to us perfectly, right? We need need the scriptures. We need the feedback of others. And and honestly, too, I mean, put that under your grid. Please do not take my word for things I say up here. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to say things that are wrong. Not on purpose, I hope. Um, But it's going to happen, uh, others of us will as well, or, or kids in your in your classrooms with your with your teachers, like always be be asking what is what does this book actually say? Test everything through Scripture; it is our authority. Don't end up sincerely wrong. It's not a car I want to be in. Number three, number three, spiritual leaders, and this one's close to so the last one. Um, number three, spiritual leaders are the worst when they're passionate, but mostly about small things. Because again, this is another one as, as a culture. We just love passionate people. We get excited around passionate people and, and like we will listen to passionate people and we'll get behind and excited like the charismatic leader. Like we, we love those people and we'll do anything to follow them, right? And we have, we have a lot of trouble arguing with passionate people. But we should always be asking with anybody's passion, including our own, are we passionate about the right things? Because passion is not always, not always the healthiest, Right? I mean, this is really what Jesus gets at in the, in the next section. It's a long section. It's the, the whole part, if you were still kind of listening at that point, with the you know, swearing by the temple or the gold of the temple, swearing by the altar, the gift on the altar. I mean, it's, it's a little bit confusing for us in our context. But really, it's, it's what he gets to then with another example, it's the same idea, uh, in verse, verse 23. Um, here's how he summarizes that. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe meant... And Dill and Cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. And what Jesus is getting at there is like, yeah, fine, tithe your spices, good for you, right? And tithing is a good thing. You should you should do that, Jesus says. And yet, like, what about justice? What about mercy? What, what about faithfulness before our God? And we've seen spiritual leaders do this, don't we? Haven't we? Let me just get this gnat out, out of my soup, right? Meanwhile, choking down a whole camel, right? And Jesus is like, fine, dude, get the gnat out of your soup, but don't, don't forget about the camel. Focus on the camel. It's not that we're necessarily passionate about wrong things. They're just small things. And I, I see myself in this. I know there are times when I just get excited about one little thing and I just wanna, I wanna go after it and I give everything to it. And it's not that it's unimportant, it's just that it's less important. Think about how many churches, how many pastors, how many Christians get hung up right here. I mean, God help us. This is, this is the soapbox church, Right? And no matter, no matter what's happening on a Sunday morning, it's somehow going to get back to that, that issue or, or those people we don't like, or, you know, that sin or that theological minor point or whatever. It's not, and again, it's not that those things are unimportant. It's just that they're not everything, right? Or, or another way this might express itself. It's the, the leader, you know, passionate, charismatic, who, who believes their church or ministry, um, or pet project or whatever it is they're, they're involved in is like the most important thing on the planet, right? You've met those people. Like where everything is, like if you don't do what I say and, and, and give in the same way I, I want you to or serve in the way that I'm talking about, then, I mean, sorry, you're going to hell, right? I mean, that, that's kind of, kind of the mentality here sometimes. Meanwhile, forgetting the most important things, like for example, Jesus would be one of them, right? Let's not forget that guy. I mean, just even as a, as a basic rule of thumb, anybody who tries to add to Jesus is a blind guide, just period, it doesn't matter what they're adding, how good it is, how awesome, like if you add to Jesus, it's a problem, a big problem. And, and so even though I'm sure none of us would actually say this, but it's sort of the, the thinking or, or the attitude or, or even what we see sometimes in, a, in others, like of, you know, to be a Christian, you need Jesus and you gotta vote the right way, Right? You need Jesus and you've got to raise your kids in a, in a particular way. You've, you need Jesus and, you know, whatever, right? No alcohol or R-rated movies or staying up past nine o'clock. What, I mean, like, whatever is, like that's that is dangerous, dangerous territory. Anytime you begin adding to Jesus, don't do it. And don't, don't trust a leader who tries to do it. So busy on small things that they've totally forgotten justice and mercy and faithfulness. I mean, tithing on their spices instead of caring for the poor and oppressed. To marginalize that. I mean that that scares me as, as we as a church get older and larger, it's churches turn inward. Like that's what studies show. We begin to exist for ourselves. For our own, you know, well being and making sure everybody's happy and gets what we want at church and all that. And it's not that those things are wrong. It's just like, man, I hope God called us to something bigger than that. Don't you? Like to be a part of our community and our city and our world in ways that are redemptive and, and healthy. We don't want to just turn inward. Tim, Tim Kizier, for example, I hate this. Um, he writes, our greatest fear as individuals and as a church should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Mm, that hurts, right? Because I know I'm prone to do this. And it, and it, makes, me, it makes me really thankful um, for our, some of the structures that we have at our church, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm part of a teaching team. Um, and so, you know, if you don't know, we're a multi-site church. We have five campuses. And so uh, we get together. Everybody's at all of our campuses preaching Matthew 23 today. Um, and every Monday we get together and we talk about the text. And really this helps with the, the last problem and this one, right? Of whether being sincere but wrong or passionate, uh, but about small things. It's because it, it's harder to drift uh, when you're talking about it together. Uh, It's harder to get um, hung up on pet projects or or just even to go in the wrong direction um, because I know I'd be prone to that. I'm really, really thankful that I have a team that helps us move in the same direction because Jesus says, don't be like them. Don't listen to them. You don't want anything to do with it. Um, Passionate, not necessarily about wrong things, just about small things. Don't do it. Number four, spiritual leaders are the worst when they're focused more on the outside than on the inside more on the outside than the inside. And this shouldn't be a surprise, like over and over Jesus and his interactions with the, the, the religious leaders, this is what he harps on, right? Man, they just, they, they, they say one thing and they do another over and over. That's what hypocrite means, right? It's an actor in that language. It's somebody who's, who's playing a part. And for them, spirituality has become an act. Who can we impress today? Who, who can we make, um, you know, feel, make, make them feel good about us, right? And I mean, it's, it's the most, like the most important thing is, is looking like a good person rather than actually becoming one, right? And so, I mean, think about that. If that's what the leadership looks like, where they're pretending, clearly, they're, they're making sure that they have the right, the right outward face. And what does that, what does that mean for the rest of us, right? I mean, it's a place where pretending is what's valued most, Right? Where, where instead of actually confessing sin to one another and saying, this is where I'm struggling, you can't do that because you don't know if you're gonna be like ostracized right? or kicked out because like, we, don't, we don't do that here. Right? We may talk about sin and, and theory, but you know, not, not what I've done, right? Let's talk about those people some more, right? It's to go to a church where you have to put on the right face, the right clothes, the right words, and just kind of fake it for an hour. And Jesus here, he says in verse 27, I mean, kind of keeps... Raising the bar each time, doesn't he? He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of rotting dead carcasses. Hmm. Right? And we know that, don't we? I mean, we know that our biggest problem's in here. It's not, it's not outside. It's not, we can't pretend it away. I mean, don't we? Like, we know that, like, my biggest problem in life, it's not, it's not my family, it's not my, my kids, it's not, it's not my job, it's not my friends or my, my government or whatever. Like, we love to blame, but let's, I mean, let's just be honest, right? My biggest problem is me, right? It's in here. I am my own worst enemy half the time or more, right? But it's so much easier to pretend or to blame. And we're just good at it, aren't we? I mean, imagine with me going to an AA meeting where nobody in the room would admit they had a problem. I think about that. Like, what? what's the point? Like, what good would that possibly do? And honestly, I mean, I've had enough interaction with alcoholics who don't think they have a problem. And you, in those settings, you just quickly realize, there's, like, there's nothing I can do here, right? I mean, Because you can't help someone who, who doesn't want help. But how, how many Christians walk into church or, or pastors or staff, right? How many of us walk into church or community group or Bible study with sort of an air of, I don't have a problem. Some of us actually believe that, right? I'm good enough. I'm okay. I mean, I got some things, but I'm better than most. What are the chances of us actually recovering together, actually growing and changing and becoming more of who God wants us to be? don't minimize how desperate we are for God's grace. When we do that, then the death inside just flourishes. It rots even deeper. And we want to be a place as a church. Um, and please, please hear this. We, we want to be a place not where, not where sin is okay. And that's, that's important. Like we, we believe that this book calls things sin and we want to do that as well. And so it's, it is not, it's not spiritual abuse to call sin, sin. Nor, nor is it malpractice for us to point out sin in each other's lives so that we can begin to work through those and, and put those aside and repent and, and become like more of who God wants us to be. That's, that's not it, okay? Um, we we want to be a place not where sin is okay, but where authenticity is just expected, where it's normal, where you can confess your, your sins and your struggles and your doubts, that we, we have permission in each other's lives to address what's in here, not just what's on on the surface. We want to be a safe place where we can recover together. And any alternative to that is toxic. It's dangerous. Finally, number five, spiritual leaders are the worst when they use the sins of others to feel good about themselves. I'm glad none of us here do that, but you can think about it in theory, right? Um, who used the, the failures of others to prop themselves up. And It's interesting what Jesus points to here, because he, he alludes to the fact that for the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders of that day, they, they essentially were, you know, go around saying, you know, we would have never done what our fathers did. Because their fathers, the ancestors, right? They, they killed the prophets. Prophets came and spoke to God's people and said, you know what? You need to repent. You need to turn away from your sin. And they killed them over and over and over again. And, and these religious leaders were like, we wouldn't do that. Are you crazy? No way. And, and the irony in this text, right? And Matthew knows it. The reader knows it. Jesus knows it. I mean, yeah, okay, maybe you're not going to kill the prophets, but you're about to kill the Son of God. Like you're you're about to murder the, the God who has come to rescue and, and give you life. It's so easy to look at the sins of others, right, and forget about our own. To feel good about ourselves, to celebrate how nice we are, right? At least I'm not like those parents, right? Those parents are the worst. Right? At least I'm not like that pastor, or we're not as weird as that church, or, you know, I'm better than that person, or I mean we just over and over, don't we? You serpents. You brood of vipers. Just how exactly are you to escape being sentenced to hell? And it's bad enough for them. I mean, imagine hearing the, like overhearing Jesus speak those words, right? It's bad enough for them, but it's not just them out of control in that car. They've got most of Jerusalem and Israel in the backseat with them. Because you become like who you follow. And even just a couple days later, the crowd's there together, right? They're going to join in with the religious leaders of that day and say, yeah, you know what? Crucify him. Kill him. We want nothing, nothing to do with him. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I really don't want to be the one driving the bus when it flies off the cliff, right? I mean, this scares me. I don't, I don't want this. And we, we know too many stories. Toxic churches and lousy pastors for you will become like those you follow, And if I'm honest, I see way too much of myself in these warnings. See, I see areas in which I'm tempted, where where our church is tempted, where it'd be so easy to drift in these various directions. That scares me. There's hope, right? And please tell me there's hope. Hope for me. Hope for Christ's community. Hope for you. Because we can't abandon or we can't give up on the church. And yet we can't miss the pain that comes with these these warnings either. We need the warning signs, but we also need a real solution. And Jesus gives us just a glimmer of one right here. Um, The only only solution for us all, well, the short answer is Jesus, okay? Um, The answer is always Jesus. but, um, But look at how Jesus ends these excruciating words of condemnation. I mean, it's really interesting that some of, some of the most tender words Jesus ever spoke and some of the harshest are right here together. You can almost see the tears in his eyes, hear the break in his voice as he pleads for his people. Verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing Longing to gather his people like a mother hen. There's a picture of Jesus we don't often think of, right? We don't, we don't picture him as a, as a chicken, right? As a hen. Um, <laughs> gathering his, his little chicks under, under his wings. But it's, you know, this image of tenderness, of protection, of, of care, of flourishing, of, of, of what, frankly, what we long for in, in Jesus. And so if, if that's the image Jesus leaves us with here in these words, I want to offer just three quick next steps for us. If you become like you, who you follow, what do we, what do, we do about it? How do we avoid some of these these perils? First, first you have to know and pray for your church. Please. I I beg you, please. Know and pray for your pastors, your leaders, your elders, the staff around you, the the community group leaders that that lead you. Whoever it is, know and pray for them. that, That means you have to get involved. Like you can't just keep it at, as, at arm's length. You have to actually take steps to get to know who we are and what we're doing, why we exist as a church, what, what, what gets us going as a people. I mean, you have to do that. And this is especially hard for those of you who I know have been hurt by the church, right? Because of course you want to keep us like this. I mean, I, I understand that. And yet, um, you have to do the hard work of rebuilding trust with us. We, we want to do that with you. Um, we'll be patient with you, but don't give up on us. Um, let's do that and be part of the solution with us. I mentioned uh, too with this a moment ago, just how thankful I am for um, just some of the safeguards that are in place at, at Christ Community. And we're not invincible. I don't, I don't say that for, um, to kind of tout like this will never happen to us kind of thing. But I am thankful to be a part of the, the church that I am. Um, even the fact that we're multi-site, I mean, there's an inherent accountability in being five campuses spread across our city. Um, and some of, my, some of my absolute closest friends are the other campus pastors, and they know me. They know the junk that lives in here. I know the things that they're tempted to, and we spend time together, and we speak into those things in each other's lives. Again, that doesn't make us invincible, but it's, it helps, right? Uh, that we're accountable with one another. Another is our, our Olathe staff team here. Um, Have you seen our office downstairs? Anybody? Um, There's nine of us officing in 280 square feet. Um, Prison cells are bigger, right? Uh, And they smell better too, actually, uh, depending on who's working. Um, It's a little bit, it's not not great. Uh, But it forces accountability. Like we just can't get away pretending with one another. Like we know when when we're angry at something or disappointed or frustrated with one another and we, we care about one another, so we speak into each other's lives. That's such a value for us as a church. And other, other safeguards that we have in, in place as well. Uh, but we're not, we're not invincible. So please, please don't put us on a pedestal. I mean, those of you who really know us, I know aren't really tempted to do that. Um, you know us too well, but please don't. That's like the worst thing you can do. We don't, we don't want to be up there. We don't deserve to be up there. And we're sinners. We're broken, desperate people. We we need God's grace just as much as you do. Um, don't put us up there. And we're we're gonna make mistakes as we go. But would you help us make fewer of them? I mean, seriously, would you, like ask good questions. Um, if you see things that 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 you that you that aren't right, right, or you, or you don't match up with here, or maybe you aren't understanding the whys behind, like ask us. Um, talk to us, give us, give us your feedback. Show us, show us what we, we can learn from you. We, we need that. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we're, you know, doing this reveal survey, right? Um, and by the way, God told me uh, you need to take the reveal survey. Um, <laughs> See how it works. It's pretty good, isn't it? Uh, too soon, too soon. Um, but push us, stretch us, give us, give us feedback. I mean, not, you know, don't be a whiny, critical spirit. That's not going to help. Um, but like, come to us, um, with, with your thoughts, help us with this. Um, but please give us lots of grace along the way. And let me just say, I, I feel that here. And I'm so thankful for that. I, um, I cannot tell you often enough how thankful I am to, to be a part of such a healthy congregation. Where I feel your permission, and the other staff members as well, and our families, we feel permission to be human. Like to actually be like, you know, people. Um, that's, not, that's not the case at all churches, I am so, so grateful. It's healthier for me. It's healthier for my family, for the rest of us. Um, thank you for a lot, giving us that permission. And also at the same time with that, thanks for not settling as well, right? Don't just let us get away with not being Christ-like. Um, that we, we need to continue to, to push us in that direction. And so there's, there's a fine balance there, but I am so, so grateful. I love you. I'm grateful for uh, the ways that you allow this to be a place of flourishing for your leaders as well. Um, and for those of you who have been hurt um, by a pastor or a church, um, maybe by this pastor or this church. Um, I'm sorry. I am so, so sorry. That should, it shouldn't be that way. Um, those that you thought were there to protect you and lead you and care for you and love you, um, somehow, in some way, uh, did the opposite of that. I am I'm so sorry. Um, but give us a chance and help us be a part of that wholeness together. Please know and pray For your church. If you don't know how to pray, ask us um, how to pray for us with things. um, We'd we'd love to be able to give you some input there. Second, know and pray for yourself. Know and pray for yourself. Ha ha. Some of you thought this was all about us, right? Um, It's not, right? We all do this. Every one of us is called to be a spiritual leader. Like if you're a Christian, that's part of your identity now as a follower of Christ. And people are following you. It may look different in your context. You're young, old, uh, whatever, wherever you are, right? It, might, it may look differently, and yet that's, that's who we are. The people around you, they will become like who they follow, and some of them are following you. Like, don't blow it, right? I mean, listen to these warnings. Take them seriously. I mean, the easy example is parents, right? Oh, man. I mean, this affects all of us in every way, but the parent-child, it's so intimate, right? And you see it. I mean, they're, I, they're, it breaks my heart sometimes when I... When I see some of my sins lived out in my kids already, they're nine and seven. When I hear one of them respond to the other and I hear my own voice in there, the anger in, in me coming out, oh, I hate that, but it's happening, right? They're, they're becoming who we are. They're following us. Are we leading them in the right direction? Every one of these warnings, I mean, I encourage you, if you took notes, like go back through them and say, how, does, how am I doing this as a parent? Or how am I I doing this at at work or at at school with other kids or uh, on on the team with others? Like, um, we are all influencing others. Where are you leading your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers? There's no neutrality, right? You're influencing them somehow. They will become like who they follow. Um, Know and pray for yourself. And third, and most important, and oh, I'm so grateful that we can end here. Oh, always run to Jesus. I, mean, I hope that's, that's not a surprise that that's where we're gonna end, but man, I, I need this so bad that Jesus, the God of the universe, the one who created us, who called us together as a community that he, like, like a, a tender mother, wants to gather us under his wings, give us, give us protection and safety and wholeness, you become like who you follow and Jesus wants us to follow him. And he's the leader who will never abuse us, betray us. He'll never, he'll never let us down or disappoint us. He's, he's the leader who fulfills what you and I could never possibly accomplish on our own and, and he even pursues us to the point of his own death. Who died for hypocrites like me, sinners like us. And he rose again so that these warnings, as extreme as they are, they don't have to rule over us anymore. Like they don't have, these things that the Pharisees got caught, they don't have to define who we are as, as his people. We can be freed from them even now, right? And we can create a community that's unlike any others. Not a perfect community because we're imperfect people. But that is what the church is called and designed to be a place of, of truth and love and grace, of forgiveness and patience, of, of wholeness and reconciliation, that, that together we, we get to follow this Jesus together and he makes us more and more like himself. Man, I long for a community like that. I mean, don't you? I mean, I need that. For you become like who you follow. Let's follow him together. Are you in? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need your help. God, we cannot do these things on on our own. And so I pray that you, through your spirit, be at work within us. And God, I, I just, I pray for those, uh, for all of us here who have influence, like if we're following you, God, I, I, I pray, regardless whether that's, that's me here as I stand before everyone or, or all of us in our, our work or our school or whatever it is with, with our kids, God, I pray that we would keep close watch on our souls. God, that we would run regularly to you so that you can gather us under your wings, that we would serve with humility and grace in all things. God, convict us of where we're going wrong. Help us to see it. Help us to hear it from others when we need it. And God, I pray especially too for those who are hurting. Um, God, my heart breaks knowing that, that so many, way too many have been hurt by churches or pastors, leaders. God, I pray that even in this moment, Uh, it would be a time for them to experience um, uh, grace and love in such a way that frees them to be able to forgive those who've hurt them. God, that would free them to be able to try once again to trust others and to be in a place of safety. God, would you bring them comfort and wholeness, healing um, in every way and help us to know how we can come alongside them in that too. God, we wanna be a part of something different. God, we're we're tired of the abuses of power inside the church and outside of it. We're tired of the way that we use people and abuse. God, would you show us something new here for your glory?